tonight. So guess what? Y'all get uh, get us exclusively, and that's very fine. personal attention. Um, absolutely. Um, I do have uh, quite a few. Um, so uh, sorry, Dan. Are we good to go on YouTube? Yep, all good. <laughs> okay, all right. I so think. Uh, so with us tonight, we got Dan. Uh, me, Josh, Cujo, and down here is Dave. Um, again, if those don't line up with the direction I'm pointing, it's probably because I've got my screen set up weird and I've got things going across two monitors and, and whatnot. So um, I do have uh, <clears throat> a couple of interesting articles uh, to share. But first, um, we, uh, we being the FPVFC, um, spent the last two days in a couple of meetings with the FAA um and uh i feel like both those meetings went well um one yesterday with was with uh some retailers and you know due to you know some of the sensitive nature i'm not going to talk about who those retailers were but just as a method of communicating uh safety uh the faa safety mission out to um their consumers um and uh we made uh, some progress on that, but the bigger bigger conversation was today in which we, um, and we've talked about this in the past, this last uh, month, we uh, were heavily involved in Drone Safety Awareness Week um, and helped put together a project called uh, Droning On After Dark in, in partnership with the FAA and uh, the Pilot Institute. Um, and if you didn't get a chance to check those videos out, they're gonna they are available on the Pilot Institute's uh, YouTube channel. Um, there were four of them spread across four nights. Um, one involved uh, uh, heavily on FPV freestyle. Um, the second was on FPV racing. Uh, the third was on general uh, modeling or or just mo like uh, classical mo modeling. Yeah, old, old, old guy modeling. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then um, the fourth night was actually a simulated FPV race that uh, took place over um, on uh, Velocidrone uh, with multi-GP racers. So uh, we feel like it was pretty successful. Um, you know, in terms of viewership of all those, uh, their viewership was much higher than ours, which uh, we consider a success. Um, the first night with FPV Freestyle, uh, I think uh, she said that uh, they garnered about... Uh, 2000 views and has gone up since then. Um, and then about uh, one and a half thousand on the FPV racing and then about a thousand on each of the remaining videos. So and they were thrilled uh, with those numbers. It sounds like. Absolutely. And I think anything uh, like those numbers are beyond what the FAA's initial reach is. So being able to partner with the pilot Institute was definitely a boon. Um, so, uh, and in covering that today, we also started discussing next year's um, drone safety awareness uh, week, as well as possible objectives on a monthly slash maybe quarterly basis. It hasn't been nailed down yet, but we're already considering next year. Um, so we're pretty excited about that, and we're trying to nail down some uh, action items and ideas for content. So... Um, Please look forward to some of that in the future. Um, and, you know, just be aware that the FAA is doing a, uh, they're working towards repairing their brand, I think, um, as well as communicating more effectively with the recreational community um, and in a more constructive manner than that's been, has been evident in the past. So, um, uh, we're pretty hopeful about what's, what's going on and we look forward to, uh, you know, not only possible, uh, a better working relationship between the recreational community and the FAA, but, you know, a, a possible pathway to better, um, ideas, better regulations, better, uh, uh, lessons for um these regulatory bodies that impact us um and i think a lot of them are starting to understand where we're coming from uh as a recreational community um and it's really exciting to be able to be a part of that so um not only are we working on the DAC, uh thanks to mr dave over here um 
and and working within the tasking groups. I think we're up to what nine tasking groups that uh, we've been working on, and that's that's awesome. Um, but we're working with messaging uh, with the FAA. We're working on um, being more recreational centric. We're working on uh, ASTM standards. Again, uh, thanks to uh, Dave. Uh, both Dan and Dave are uh, involved in the ARC for Beyond uh, Visual Line of Sight. Yep. So um, we've got multiple balls in the air. Um, Yep, and I like during that meeting today. I feel like we're making progress, but it's slow. But we're we're teaching yes. the FAA. It feels like one employee at a time what recreational drone use and especially FPV is. And when we sort of describe it, uh, I'm a little shocked sometimes by their reactions. They're, they they yeah. really don't know what we do, and we're slowly trying to teach them. And they they the the meeting went really well and like it was an one hour scheduled meeting and we ended up talking for Stretching it two good. hours um, because they were so interested in talking to us and i i assume most of those people were uh like basically working an extra hour because uh, at least on the east coast they would have gone from mm -hmm. uh over you know, from five to six for that extra hour so they probably weren't uh normally working those hours no and we definitely appreciate the ability to communicate on uh, with them and you know obviously are gracious uh, for the time that they're giving us. So, um, but I think that um, one of my new personal missions uh, as part of the FPVFC is to get the FAA, um, especially the UAS side of the FAA educated um, on what the different types of drones and that they all are not the same. Um, so, you know, and when I say that, you know, we've talked a lot in our meetings about, um, the different types of drones, whether they be for military purposes, educational purposes, agriculture purposes, aerial photography purposes, and then, you know, obviously the hobby side, you know, you've got, uh, FPV, you've got cinematography, you've got tiny whoops, you know, and, and all those break down into further categories like freestyle and racing and, you know, so on and so on. And so there's an, you know, an infinite amount of uses for these amazing devices that, you know, we're engaged with. <clears throat> and, um, but we're legislation and, and regulation is being written as a, a one whole entity kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's just not working. And one size does uh, not fit all as was absolutely. repeated many times during the last DAC. Yeah. And so, you know, between educating um, the FAA as well as another personal mission, and I think one that, uh, uh, you know, uh, our, our contact within the FAA shares is educating uh, legislators as well. So um, getting them on board with the different types and understanding all that. Because if they're going to write legislation that's going to affect how the FAA drafts regulation, um, then they need to be uh, educated on what they're actually writing legislation for. So um, it's been exciting, an exciting couple of days. It's been an exciting couple of months, especially for me. Um, I don't, you know, unfortunately, I don't get to, you know, uh, participate a whole lot in the DAC um, as opposed to, you know, just reading on what's going on, offering suggestions, that kind of stuff on a personal level, but being able to engage in this manner, um, is a lot of fun and, uh, definitely an eye opening experience. Now, you know, the U S government is a re regulatory body and, uh, U S government as a whole, any type of government as a whole moves slow and they, you know, and I, I, you know, somebody once, uh, you know, told me about, you know, slow moving people being snails, leaving slime trails. That's how the U.S. government feels sometimes. But, you know, working within that and, you know, seeing change occur, um, you know, on a month to month basis, I think is a little more exciting. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. So I did want to lead with that because, uh, you know, it's more of what we're doing to help out the community um and 
it's not super visible uh, to people either if we don't it isn't unfortunately if we know. don't talk about it yeah if we don't talk about it nobody would know right so um uh so anyway uh i just wanted to lead with that and uh with that i will jump into a couple pretty cool news articles um something i'm kind of excited about let me get my screen shared here <clears throat> All right. Got little spinny boxes for your screen. Yeah, it's not working. Okay, so let me let me try something. All right, cool. I think we got it now. There we go. Now I see it. So, um, I am a huge fan of the GoPro Session. Uh, I like its form factor. I like its weight. Um, I don't like big giant things sticking off the ends of my quad that can get damaged in terms of, you know, all the other GoPros that have existed. So, apparently, a YouTuber uh, slash influencer uh, accidentally revealed the new DJI Action Cam. Um, and this thing uh, is looking more and more like the session. So uh, it weighs, uh, there's another article, I didn't bring it uh, for this one, but somebody had leaked the specs for this thing. Yeah, I was going to say, Comes I'm in. pretty sure we saw renders and details about it before this video came out, but this is probably the first one that actually like <laughs> shows the camera right there in the screen. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you got the camera up here. Um, it comes in at 56 grams. Um, it's got a uh, 155 degree field of view. Um, yeah, I forget what a, like a hero, well, hero 10 is uh, these about days. 80, but uh, oh, the session I think was 85. So this is going to be even lighter than the session. Yeah, it's so. tiny weight wise compared to a, like a new hero 10, uh, which is a big deal for flying like a five inch drone. You don't want all that extra weight if you don't need to. Absolutely. And the nice thing is, is with this weight, you know, this is great for the smaller three inch, you know, cine whoops and stuff like that. So um, it uh, can do 4K at uh, 60 uh, frames per second. It's got a couple other uh, video uh, options on there as well. Um, the other cool thing is it's modular. So you can attach a screen to it. Um, and it just clips onto the bottom and hooks in via kind of like a hot swap kind of port. Um, you can attach an external battery. The internal battery runs for about 50-ish, 50, 52 minutes. Um, so, uh, but you can you can add on an external can, uh, external battery, external cool. screen. Um, there's uh, external plates that allow it to be hooked on to kind of like a ball joint. A la, you know, uh, like, GoPro. They figured that all out just from this little screen grab. <laughs> no, this is also information coming from that other leak that I uh, found. So, um, and then, oh, here's the ball joint right here down at the bottom. So it just clips onto the bottom there, a little ball joint, and then you can hook it up to whatever. You've got kind of like a magnetic uh, attachment plate there um, if you want to wear it. It's got uh, rock steady. Um, uh, technology, which would be your video stabilization. Um, so uh, pretty cool. I'm excited for this. Uh, everything I see is that it should be coming out in the next month or two. Um, so uh, I'd be interested to see what the price point on this thing as well as what the price point on all the accessories are. So cool. And I uh, assume you could, <laughs> I assume you can buy it at Best Buy with a Best Buy protection plan, which would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Um, I haven't, you know, that form factor that the session kind of dropped into was, was excellent, especially for what we do. Yeah. Um, and I do, you know, my session still kind of works and still kind of doesn't, it, it depends on the day on if it wants to do anything, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it would be nice to be able to replace it at some point with something fancy like this. And then I'm going to have to start, you know drawing up 3d models for mounts and all that good stuff once it comes out for all my drones so um but yeah super exciting on that um 
This is a new. They're they're calling it a drone. I wouldn't exactly <laughs> call it a drone, but uh, a robot that can both walk and fly. Um, it's got uh, two little spindly legs, and it's got um, uh, quadcopter style propellers um, up towards the head of it that helps it maintain its balance. So as it's walking, the propellers uh, kind of maintain its balance at the same time. And it can also, uh, you know, do short flights. Um, they're calling it uh, Leonardo or Leo, um, and it stands for Legs Onboard Drone. Um, <laughs> so, it's so does this actually have to follow FAA regulations or not? <laughs> well, I would imagine if it's walking, no, and if it's flying, probably. But <laughs> it's jumping down the stairs. Um, it doesn't say yeah. how much it weighs, but uh, I would, I would say that it's probably going to be pretty light. Um, it, uh, can walk a tightrope, which I find pretty cool. I don't know if it's so much walking as it is hovering. But, <laughs> hovering uh... with its feet on the rope. Oh, here we go. It's 5.7 pounds. So it's heavier than I thought it would be. And it's two and a half feet tall. So that looks, uh, much smaller than it actually, uh, than it actually is. So, uh, pretty crazy little thing. Um, this is being, uh, developed by Caltech, um, those uh super smart guys there um so super cool weird let's see uh so the net oh let's see you're gonna have to help me out with this one national oceanography oceanographic um i forget what the a stands for yeah i, I don't know either anyway noah uh who generally tracks uh stuff going on in um the oceans as well as uh weather uh, sent a drone um, into Hurricane Sam. Um, so let's see. And that was like a, now, a boat, right? A drone mm -hmm. boat. So it says uh, scientists know what the storm looked like from the inside out. They sailed a drone straight into the heart of the hurricane. It was the first time Noah had successfully piloted a seagoing drone inside a hurricane. Um, the agency hopes to use scientific data collected by special sensors on the vehicle to improve future hurricane models and forecasts. Um, and National, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Uncle Stewie posted exactly the same thing in the live chat on <laughs> YouTube. Thank there you, you go. <laughs> so um, through its partnership with SailDrone, NOAA currently has five vehicles drifting around the around on the open ocean. In a stroke of luck, they noticed that Hurricane Sam was projected to pass close to one of them. So they positioned the sail drone ahead of time using that advanced knowledge and got into a position where it was most likely to intercept the path of Sam. And it turned out very well. Um, so, you know, this is great. You know, it may not be a flying drone, um, but the technology of robotics and what it can help accomplish for mankind, this is another one of those, you know, drones for good kind of stories. And, uh, uh, pretty cool that we're using this kind of uh, automated, remotely piloted, you know, tech to, you know, study our planet um, uh, among the other amazing things that uh, drones and robotics can do. All right. Um, here we've got uh, FAA's Lance offers instant night flight approval for Part 107 commercial drone pilots. Um so onboard navigation systems are not the only thing in the aerial world increasingly befitting, uh, benefiting from an automated capacity. Now Part 107 certified drone pilots requesting approval for commercial night flights in restricted zones can receive quasi-real-time authorizations from Lance uh, processing services. So this would be like your services like uh, Aloft, um, uh, Airspace Link, Wing, um, anybody so, who's and, uh, providing and those not not AirMap. Nope, AirMap got removed, and it, we don't know if it's temporary or if it's permanent. But they also got removed from the FAA's website as a, you know, partner. So, so up until now, and, right? If you tried to uh, get Lance authorization after dusk, like it would just say no, right? Correct. So, and now that has changed. Um, now, before, in order to to fly at night as a Part 107, and it goes into detail here, but you had to get you had to basically get approval for one day and the next day um, for both those flights in a concurrent, you know, in that concurrent location. And then you would have to 
put in a um, application uh, for a national authorization for nighttime uh, operation. So it was a, a many steps process, um, but now they've kind of parsed that down into um, a, a much quicker process. However, um, you, uh, you do need to be part 107 certified commercial drone pilots who have completed the FAA night flight training and have equipped the, your aircraft with anti-collision lights visible for at least three through three miles. So you still have to follow all the rules. You just, <laughs> you can get approval quicker besides, uh, and, submitting and, a long time, a waiver. Yeah. And as Correct. we've said before, this is for, um, Which, operate a flying in controlled airspace which you'd need yes. to do if you're recreational as well and our friends at aloft offer recreational lands capability for nothing for free for recreational pilots so our thanks to aloft absolutely um so uh flights in controlled airspace for recreational are um still not you can't apply for them through lance um but you can fly in a controlled airspace at night uh, recreationally. Um, so there's no restrictions currently, I will say. So uh, pretty cool that uh, we're moving, you know, steps forward here. I bet, um, I bet the FAA likes that too. A lot less uh, waivers they have to do the paperwork absolutely. for. I would imagine, you know, uh, again, you know, we talked about waivers last time, but uh you know, the more automated they can make this, the easier it's going to be for everybody involved. And, you know, even even in, uh, you know, some of our documents where we've responded to different things, you know, the, the wait period for a lot of these um, waivers is unbearably long, 90 days, you know, in some cases. So, um, and when you're trying to plan out, you know, if you're a part 107 and you're trying to plan out your, your budget and your timeline for doing projects and having to do things 90 days in advance, it, it really puts you behind the eight ball uh, against, you know, perhaps a client that needs, you know, more immediate uh, processing of, of their job, you know? So um, speeding that up would be beneficial for everybody. Um, and especially, you know, when we were talking about waivers last time, we were talking about waivers uh, against, not against, but waivers for not needing a visual observer and having to plan that out 90 days in advance. Holy crap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> so, uh, pretty interesting. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, this, uh, this, uh, involves, um, uh, uh, race day quads and Tyler Brennan's case against, uh, the FAA for remote ID um if you haven't had a chance i am going to post this article in the chat um for the simple reason that there's two documents within it that if you haven't read uh are are worth a read so and those would be the brief that uh um uh tyler and his team uh posted uh to the courts against remote id and their their arguments against it as well as uh the FAA has just responded to their um, their brief with their own brief. So steps forward from here would be um, that uh, Tyler and his team have, I think, about 30 days to respond uh, to that, and at which point um, uh, oral arguments would begin and the case would be either decided or declined. And the FAA's uh, brief... I believe all just says we're doing everything right. There's no reason for a lawsuit against us. Obviously. Essentially, we, yeah. We think we're doing uh, everything correctly. Yeah, and I mean, there's. I read it last night. I spent you know a, a little bit of time reading their response. Um, I've read Tyler's brief, um, and um, you know you can you can kind of see it from both sides. So you know, again. Uh, you know, this is another approach to, um, you know, remote ID and any grievances, you know, people might have about remote ID. Um, I'm not saying this is, you know, a wrong response or a right response. It's just another response. Um, and uh, at the same time, um, you know, you can kind of see both sides of it and it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, 
Um, I do recommend reading the article. This comes from Forbes. Um, so, you know, it is getting some uh, attention. Um, but uh, uh, it's, you know, again, definitely worth a read. And, you know, let and me know what you think. And Dawn is a former JAG officer. Uh, the, uh, the author of this article, Dawn Zoldi, very well respected in the drone industry. So it's great that they got uh, someone knowledgeable to write the article in Forbes. Absolutely. Also point, also point out a little uh, disappointment is uh, some of you might have noticed that um, Tyler Brennan uh, posted that uh, AUVSI has uh, signed on to work with the FAA on their side of the of this lawsuit. And that's, of course, somewhat uh, distressing to us. AUVSI is a 501c3. Uh, they're dedicated to uh, commercial um uh, I was going to say exploitation, but uh, growth of uh, of drone and of the drone industry, and that's frequently, uh, unfortunately, to uh, the detriment uh, to the recreational community. So Absolutely. we'll see how this uh, how this develops. Yeah, and un yeah. Uncle Stewie again over in the YouTube chat says that his take on the brief is essentially that the FAA is saying, "Well, Congress told us to do this, so that's what we have to do." <laughs> so, well, and, and, and it'll and, be interesting and... to see how it it uh, progresses from here you know and you know from a certain aspect and and this is something we've you know kind of talked about is you know they're not wrong you know uh congress mandated that remote id be investigated and that rules you know for identifying you know remote remotely piloted aircraft uh be kind of promulgated and so you know the faa uh created a a, a rule document uh and um, we had the ability to respond, and I think we uh, responded in excellent fashion with 53,000 comments. Um, I do think that, um, from a certain aspect, the FAA listened a lot to what we had to say and uh, changed the rule significantly, um, you know, based on some of those comments. Um, you know, it, it still may not be the best, uh, you know, cup of tea that you can that you can make. But at the same time, I, I don't feel it is going to kill the hobby like the original rule set felt like it was going to. So uh, or the, the original uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. So um, it's uh, it'll be interesting to watch this play out. Um, it's uh, interesting to see both sides of the story and uh, kind of take from it what you will. And so, did you already say this? When did this come out? This was yesterday, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler posted about it on Facebook and I immediately clicked it and sat down and, and started reading. So, um, so it's good to uh, see I, things are, are still moving along. I have no idea mm -hmm. when when the next phase will be, but... It's, so I uh, think it's 30 days going. for Tyler to respond. So we'll probably, I, I would imagine he would publish that response as well. Um, and then uh, it would pro it will definitely roll over into 2022 um, uh, before, you know, anything's kind of uh, finalized from any aspect, whether the, you know, the case is accepted or declined. And uh, if it's accepted, then obviously you go through the, the trial phase, but um, I would expect either side to uh, probably appeal a decision. And, you know, that's the way our court system works to, you know, tackle things like this. And Uncle Stewie's making another interesting observation here. He's saying, as an, well, as a ham operator, there are a lot of parallels between their frequency reassignment for commercial use and the commercial UAS airspace allocations. Okay, that makes sense. It'd be, you know, Again, I right now um, there's not like a separate you know sector of sky that that you know airspace is being set aside for commercial, but remote ID at the same time you know would I think they're hoping to utilize it in a method to kind of create that space, not necessarily segment off the airspace, but create distance between if that. Yeah, and I assume Dave, you could speak a little bit more about what's going on in the amateur or the the radio side of things with uh, the FAA trying to reassign yeah, some allocations been... there. And I, I'm I'm dreadfully afraid of what's going on with the FCC because what's and I, I 
I don't see the the parallel with uh, what's happening with uh, integration of U uh, drones or UAS into the national airspace. What's happening with the FCC is uh, the FCC is auctioning off frequency at uh, you know, billions of dollars, and they keep uh, carving back and carving back and cutting back. There has been some uh, recent progress on what was in the FAA 2018 Reauthorization Act, Section 374, to be too specific, uh, tongue firmly in cheek, but that was all about uh, allocation of spectrum for UAS. And so there has been some positive movement that uh, the FCC agreed that they would do that, but uh, there's, they're uh, not uh, uh, allocating spectrum that we had hoped for, and they are auctioning uh, it off. So uh, we're being, uh, as they would talk about a, a, uh, an airspace grab, there's a frequency grab going on on the uh, uh, radio frequency side of things and on the uh, airspace. Uh, so far from all the work that we're doing, is there is a, on both crewed or manned uh, aircraft as well as unmanned or uncrewed aircraft, there's a strong view, just as Josh said, to not segregate or allocate airspace, but to integrate flight. And that's still a very popular view. So does it seem like the FCC is trying to take radio waves away from the amateur space and give that to what the FAA wants for drones? Or... Is that a from different? What I can, from what I can tell, is the FCC is selling uh, radio frequency that was allocated to UAS and selling it to um, a cell phone company. Okay. Yeah, not a good situation. Uh, Josh, you're on mute, but you're talking enthusiastically <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh so do you see that as a kind of forward proposition for utilizing those uas frequencies you know from a, a cell phone aspect for possible ua uh, uss or uh for uh you know, U.S. frequencies is all from a cell phone aspect, from a, you know. It's not clear what the utilization uh, purpose would be. And it, it was definitely not that they had to use them for uh, for uh, the unmanned traffic management system. It it looks like they, had, they could use, the cell phone companies could allocate them and use them for their own, you know, for whatever purpose they'd like. Gotcha. Okay. Five, and no, notably expansion of 5G. Interesting. All right. Well, good times. All right. So um, oftentimes, would you like to uh, show uh, money that the FAA is spending in terms of research in drones? Um, so they announced, uh, yes, two days, yes, yesterday, um, that uh, $2.8 million in drone research, education, and training grants to fund five universities. Uh, fun the funding will focus on three areas, advanced material, right-of-way rules, and flight data recorder requirements. Um, these schools are Mississippi State University, Wichita State University, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, the University of Kansas, and the University of North Dakota. Um, all five of these universities, I believe, are partner universities with the FAA um, and do a lot of uh, research um, in terms of... Uh, you know, uh, UAS. So um, it's funny that I found this right after our meeting today, and we were talking about this in our meeting, um, the advanced materials investigation. This research aims to identify, assess, and understand the types of composites and other advanced materials used in drones and advanced air mobility. These activities will be critical for developing standards and regulations to use these advanced materials in aircraft. Um, and those uh, grants went to Mississippi State and Wichita State. Um, and we were actually talking in our meeting today about the materials that drones are made of and the um, impact, literally impact, of <laughs> drones uh, and, and, you know, against uh, both, you know, objects such as vehicles or buildings as well as against, you know, people. Um, and that topic had, had been broached in our conversation today um, about, you know, the, the way that the um, 
the Assure studies came out with their mass and, and kinetic energy calculations made it almost untenable to fly anything. It would have grounded most of the, the, the fleet in the United States of drones. Um, so much so that, uh, uh, you know, a 500 gram drone could only fly up to like 12 miles an hour uh, before it would broach those uh, kinetic uh, energy uh, requisites. And the reason being is that they were using calculations based on old models, um, some of them from like the 1960s. So um, it, fortunately, they've moved away from that, and it looks like they're moving more into a you know designated uh, materials kind of research. So interesting. Yeah, this, is, this is very encouraging. One of the other things we we're talking about is the work we're doing in the Drone Advisory Committee Tasking Group 11, which has to do with a, uh, a fundamental or a foundational safety metric. And so we're working on something called a target level safety value. And this encourages uh, the safety and e energy transfer to be optimal or optimal for a person being struck as opposed to creating something that's hard and rigid and uh, would uh, transfer a lot of energy when it hits uh, uh, an individual. So. It's just great to see uh, composite research. Um, and also, if uh, anyone's interested in this type of uh, discussion, there's a, a, a great uh, individual on YouTube, Chris Rosser, R-O-S-S-E-R, -S -S -E I think is how it's spelled, who is uh, definitely a mechanical engineer. And he's doing um, structural analysis and modal analysis on our frames. And it's great to see that. And he's got... Uh, tips and techniques of things that you should do to get uh, better flight characteristics uh, just with the, with the frames that we have. And so there's a, it's good to see uh, some real good math and good engineering going into uh, our, our end of the industry. Absolutely. Uh, second uh, project is uh, right away rules for UAS operations and safety recommendations. Uh, and this is kind of what we were just talking about. Right-of-way rules keep aircraft safely separated. This research will explore right-of-way rules for a wide variety of drone operations. It will provide safety-based recommendations for the FAA and drone industry standard organizations to consider in establishing drone detect and avoid requirements. Um, those, uh, those grants went to Embry-Riddle uh, University of Kansas and the University of North Dakota. The flight recorder requirements kind of... Uh, when I first thought about it, it kind of irked me the wrong way. Um, this kind of feels like remote ID on steroids, but you know, I don't think that's uh, what we're you know really focused on here. So don't freak out. But it says uh, flight recorders can provide valuable data when drone incidents occur. This research will explore flight recorder requirements for drones, including remotely piloted advanced air mobility aircraft. Uh, the universities will share their findings with the European Organization for Civil Aviation Equipment. I believe this deals with the larger version of possible uh, air mobility would be like people carrying drones. Um, right. Yeah, as long okay. as they don't so, come up with research that says your tiny whip in your backyard needs to have a black box flight recorder. That, you know. <laughs> there you go. I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of our drones have black box capability already. The flight controllers do, right? So it, it's probably different from what they're thinking, but a lot of that data is recorded and, and preserved. Uh, for us, we utilize it for tuning, right? So, um, you know, a lot of that uh, uh, data would, I, I would imagine that data would be useful in any kind of circumstance, but at the same time, I don't I don't feel like we, we need it to be a requirement. So uh, we'll be watching that one for sure. So, Hey, Josh, could you copy that over to the Discord? Absolutely, I'm sorry. No problem, I was... I, I did not see this, and uh, I wanted to read read a little further. Yeah, thank absolutely. you. All right, next uh, coming from uh, Drone DJ. I feel like I'm uh, utilizing them a lot, <laughs> but they do have some great articles. Um, this uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but there was a drone show in uh, Zhengzhou. Um, hopefully, I pronounced that correctly. Um, where uh, the drones malfunctioned and started coming down. Um, some of them were landing amongst the crowd that had gathered. Um, and this was uh, October 1st um, at uh, Wanda Plaza Shopping Mall. 200 drones took to the sky to commemorate the mall's anniversary with varied formations, but the show barely crossed the two and a half minute mark before the drones started descending uncontrollably toward the ground. 
Videos captured by eyewitness show a drone bouncing off a car in a parking lot with several others dropping directly into the spectator zone, causing people to panic, though some decided to grab onto the falling machines as if they were souvenirs. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> um, and there were no injuries, right? Uh, I don't believe so. I, I assume uh, we would have heard something if there was. Yeah. I watched some of the videos when it isn't it like they're just like floating down they, and they, yeah they weren't coming down like you know bricks or anything they were just kind of descending like they um, lost lost signal and just emergency land kind of thing yeah it wasn't it didn't seem like it was that big big of a, a thing but when there's two hundred of them I mean you know that can that can be a little sketchy right so uh, according to local drone technology reporter Kan Kan's IG okay. Uh, the organizer of the drone light show has reported the matter to po the police, suspecting that a competitor in the same industry could have transmitted interference to overwhelm the navigation systems of the drone. So this is what we've come to. We're sabotaging each other's drone shows. <laughs> <laughs> this turns, is awesome. Turns out, was, turns out it was a CCP demonstration of counter UAS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a drone show. It was a counter UAS show. Right. Funny. Right. So, yeah, uh, good stuff. Uh, it was. I, I think I caught it on Twitter or something when it happened, and I was like, "Oh boy, there you go." All right. So, uh, Congressman Guest's Unmanned Aerial Security Act approved by the U.S. House of Representatives. This is along the same topics of uh, uh, drone regulations against purchasing drones for the federal government uh, from uh people that are countries that uh we've designated as adversaries um so this actually is uh pertaining to the department of homeland security uh specifically and then being able to purchase uh purchase drones um from you know again countries who we've identified as a foreign adversary um so they can't uh if this uh i would assume this needs to pass that the the senate before it goes anywhere however um uh this would prevent the department of homeland security from entering or renewing a contract for any unmanned aircraft systems or drones that have been manufactured in china or other countries deemed to be foreign adversaries um, of the top drone manufacturers that supply the United States market, a single Chinese manufacturer has nearly 77% of the market share. The Department of Homeland Security's, uh, Security has issued warnings about Chinese-made drones, specifically citing concerns that data collected by the drones can be accessed by the Chinese government. This legislation is vital to protect our sensitive information from the Chinese Communist Party. So, you know, there's two sides to this coin. Um one side is is that uh, you know our relations with uh, China right now are probably not the best, uh, but at the same time, you know I don't see currently a lot of evidence saying that the capability that everybody is kind of fearing is is possible. Now that all does rely on you know DJI as a company maintaining their own information servers and and whatnot at, as secure against you know government snooping essentially um so there there is a lot of trust placed in a single uh, organization however you know it's it's still hit or miss uh, on, on whether that's actually happening or or could possibly happen um, one of the things that uh, DJI has done is uh, I think they've built servers here in the U.S. that maintain U.S. server, uh, U.S. operator information. Um, second to that, um, they also you know, created a, a clean room a copy of their uh, firmware running their entire drone and uh, controllers so that it would uh, be free of any communication uh, back to anywhere. And uh, that was directed for the Department um, of the Interior. Interior. But of course, that didn't get used because those purchases were shut down in our Absolutely. infinite So wisdom. I feel like DJI has, has, you know, whether you like them or hate them um, or are ambivalent, I feel like they've gone through the measures to, you know, accommodate... Uh, you know, concerns like this uh, for the United States. Um, but, you know, 
the current climate, uh, you know, both politically and, and, and worldwide is, you know, it's a little rough right now. So, you know, you can, again, like earlier, you can kind of see both sides of the coin. It just kind of up to you on which side you land on. So, um, but, uh, definitely, uh, more of the same that we've seen over the past year, year and a half on, um, you know, essentially the government boycott of DJI. Um, so pretty interesting. Um, last but not least, and boy, did I time this really good tonight. Um, but, uh, vanilla unmanned, there's there's one more article after this that you, that you had forgotten. So I'll I'll mention it, but it's (laughs) critically important. Oh, geez. I I totally must've missed it. Um, let me drop this one in here and I will drop in that last one real quick line. Um, I was uh, I was referencing the uh, Pilot Institute Excel interview. Oh yes, that dropped that dropped yesterday. Oh, I, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, so uh, this is actually I have two more, so we'll talk about that, and then I've got one more uh, uh, involving the Pilot Institute as well. Um, but let's see vanilla unmanned aircraft breaks another world record proves astounding endurance so this is a internal combustion engine drone um it's a tactical sized drone um for intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance um the latest personal best of this uas was a continuous flight of eight days 50 minutes and 47 seconds uh without refueling so that's pretty impressive um, it started its flight on September 24th and it was recovered this Saturday on October 2nd, totaling 12,200 miles. Uh, the demonstration took place over the Edwards Air Force Base in California with Vanilla carrying two EOIR cameras, two satellite communication systems for BV loss, um, a mesh radio system, and a radar. Um, the um, uh, No need pay- for bathroom breaks. How about that? I know, right? This is pretty uh, cool. It is really cool. So it runs on standard jet fuel, jet jet A fuel, um, carries more than 100 pounds of payload, including communication equipments and various sensors, and it holds official endurance records for its class. Um, so this is really cool. Um, I wish our drones could stay up for eight days. Yeah. <laughs> eight minutes is often pushing it. Right? That's right. Eight days. That's Eight that's days. So... Cool. Um, pretty interesting. Uh, I don't have a link to the video, but I am going to drop a link. Um, after our meeting, uh, earlier this afternoon, um, at the behest of the FAA fast team, uh, which is the FAA safety team. Um, I went through and did, uh, one of their prototype trainings on FAA safety.gov. Um, let's huh? see. A- a- ALC or ACL723? It's ALC 723. Um, so cool thing here is uh, I just created an account on the web page here, and then I was able to go through the training. So a lot of the past trainings on here, and I haven't dug into them, but uh, according to the FAST team, um, a lot of the trainings on here uh, were uh, you know hour, hour and a half long. Um, they took time to get through, um, and in order to do that, or you do that in order to maintain what's called your WINGS program. So WINGS is kind of a continuing education uh, for pilots, as well as, you know, you basically, it's kind of like you get uh, your your uh, pilot proficiency program, and you get kind of, you know, little your, awards your based current, off of it. Your- and your currency, if you don't take continuing education, you don't keep current. So, and mm-hmm. you can get credit for training. So, this is really important to crewed aircraft pilots. Absolutely. Yeah, I've so, got some wings points and I have no idea what they're for. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I went through and you can just create an account here. Um, and I went through, and the important one is ALC 723. It's a prototype one that the FAA has done in partnership with the Pilot Institute. And it's about, in fact, I think it's exactly uh, 10 10 pages long. um, And that sounds big, but each page is its own video. And each video is anywhere from a minute 
to just under 10 minutes. I don't think there was any that were under 10 um, or that were over 10. I'm sorry. And uh, in which uh, Greg from the Pilot Institute goes through and he's talking about um, aeronautical decision uh, decision making or ADM, um, which is, uh, to be honest, is a topic that I hadn't thought about. So I definitely learned something from it. Um, and it's it's put together in bite-sized chunks. So you don't have to complete it all in one go. Um, you can watch a couple of videos. There's a couple knowledge checks along the way. And at the end, you get a certificate saying, hey, I completed this program. And uh, I believe you get some wings points too. Um, the reason I mentioned this is one of the um, one of the things that we as an organization, the FPVFC, had mentioned in our response to the advisory circular on uh, CBOs was a creation of a program similar to Wings for UAS pilots. Um, and funny enough, uh, they're working on something like that. So. Um, pretty cool. I don't know if it was because we mentioned it or if it was already in the works and we just, you know, happened to have same brain at the, you know, at the right time, but, um, it, uh, it was pretty, pretty interesting to hear. So this is a prototype. Um, I encourage everybody to go on faasafety.gov. Um, and I will drop that. Just check it out. Um, did you know, there's any... a... Did you see any opportunity for comments? Are there a comment There is. Or... At the very end of it, it asks you for feedback. Uh, there was four Great. questions. You could just, you know, say, you know, I think it was, uh, was the training, you know, too long, not long enough or just right, you know, a couple multiple choice. And then there was a comment box at the end that you can leave feedback. I think it was. Um, so uh, for me, it was a pretty engaging topic. I'd never heard of uh, aeronautical decision-making before. Um, and goes through different things like um, uh, kind of like uh, biases towards uh, action. So it would be like, you know, the macho attitude, like, hey, I got this. I can do whatever I want. The invincibility, um, you know, basically saying ah, accidents happen to other people. They don't happen to me, you know, that kind of thing. And it breaks down how to kind of overcome those as well as uh, dealing with different types of stressors. And then uh, being able to make decisions based on uh, what the what the actual hazard is, and then what's the risk of something happening. So, as any one of the examples he gives, uh, which I thought was pretty cool, is you're flying, you're at 200 feet, um, and a helicopter comes in, and it's at 200 feet. So, the hazard is the helicopter flying at the same same altitude as you. So, at which point you need to make a risk assessment and basically say what's the immediate you know, what's the level of risk here? Is it catastrophic? So if my drone hits that helicopter, what's the potential for catastrophic damage versus what's the, what's the potential for, you know, nothing to happen. And then what do you do in response to that? Um, so, uh, some pretty good, uh, uh, information on there. Um, and again, never heard of it before. Um, but, uh, definitely learned something out of it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Manned aviation has the right of way. <laughs> yes, very true. And, and he goes through that, you know, and, you know, same thing. He talks about, you know, you can, you know, as an operator of a multi-rotor, you have, you know, many directions. You can ascend, you can descend, you can move left, you can move right, you can move forward, you can move backward. The smart thing is to descend, right? But then, you know, it goes back through the cycle. Well, you descended. And then the helicopter started descending because it's going to land, you know, or right over here. And you didn't know that it was going to land. Maybe it's an emergency helicopter, right? So then you go through the cycle again. What's the hazard? What's the what's the risk assessment? And then what's your action? So uh, pretty cool thing. Or so maybe you're flying a tiny whip and the prop wash from the helicopter will take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, the, I need to see that. The is, part of the ADM is avoidance. So, you know, mm -hmm. maneuverability and uh, closing rate, these are all critical aspects of that decision process. So, yeah, good, good, good reference. And uh, I'll, I will definitely uh, take that, uh, that course too and leave some comments. Yeah, it wasn't very long. I did, I sat and did the whole thing all the way through uh, because I felt it was pretty engaging. Greg's a great, um, 
teacher. So um, it was, uh, you know, interesting to, to learn about it. And it was definitely engaging. So I think overall, it maybe took me 45 minutes to go through all of it. It wasn't that long. So um, and then there's a test at the end. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Um, and then second to that, uh, Dave and I had an opportunity to do an interview with uh, Drone XL. Um, and uh, uh, let's see. I don't have the link for it. Do you, Dave? Let's see if I can find it. I don't. It's a PIXL on uh, YouTube. Is there? Uh, that's their their channel. Pixel XL, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's in Pilot Institute XL, all one word. Uh, drone show here we go let's see oh boy we did okay so i'm going to grab this link Uh, I believe they said it was the longest interview they've ever done to date, and this is their 26th show. So they've been doing this for just over a year now, I believe. Is the longest uh, a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> no, it yeah, went really. it went well, um, and uh, I felt it went well. I haven't uh, reviewed the final product. It was not uh, showcased live. It was something that we recorded, so I don't know what edits were made, but... Um, I will say that I lost my train of thought a couple of times. That's on me. Um, but uh, but this I is think... a great group where there are yeah. three people interviewing Josh and me, and this is part of our expanding network. So the Pilot Institute, obviously well-known, highly respected uh, trainers, both in uh, manned aircraft or crewed aircraft, as well as unmanned, and uh, a great bunch of folks, in addition to Haye and Kara, who also were asking questions. And this is uh, you know, part of our overlap into commercial. And so most of their customers are commercial. And that's why, and that's why uh, it's a great relationship. And so if uh, you're going to take the trust or take trust, not the trust, not the, the <laughs> um, then uh, Pilot Institute offers it. That's where uh, I took it. And uh, uh, it's a great relationship. They also were the hosting for the uh, drone at night turning on after night so this is a, a good relationship and we appreciate uh, all the work that greg and his company is doing absolutely so um it was a lot of fun uh i enjoy doing uh these uh interviews we've done what joshua bardwell twice now i think uh we've done uh we did mike we did mike rollins michael right? rollins yep um we've Gosh, done that these feels guys like ages ago you did both Eight. of those it Ancient. was Ancient. yeah <laughs> so um we've done a couple of these they're they're always uh interesting and it's good to talk to people that we uh you know know or or you know have developed you know relationships with and 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 whatnot so for me it was cool to be able to talk with joshua bardwell um just because you know i've watched so many of his videos especially when i was getting started in in the whole FPV thing. So, um, and, uh, cool thing is, is, is Greg doesn't live that far from me. And, uh, there's actually an Arizona, uh, um, drone event coming up and I think I'm going to go swing by and I think Greg will be there. So we'll be able to kind of touch base on a, on a personal level there and, uh, get to meet each other. So, um, it'll be, uh, pretty cool. Uh, so yeah. Uh, that's all I have, uh, and I think I we went way over, but lots of good uh, articles, lots of good information, uh, great meetings uh, yesterday and today with the FAA. Lots um, and lots and lots of FAA meetings. Yep. So, um, but, uh, you know, Hacking while meetings, there's... TV loss meetings, ASTM meetings. Yep. <laughs> busy, 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 busy. Yep. It's so, a good thing you're retired, Dave, so you can actually attend all these meetings. That's it. That's it. I don't know how I do it otherwise. It was funny. I was talking to uh, an elderly lady uh, earlier this morning, and 
shoot we were talking about uh hobbies and i was like yeah i i have like 15 hobbies and she's like well that's a good thing she's like because when you get old you need something to do that way you won't die and i'm just like oh my goodness right uh, gotta be uh, gotta be accountable <laughs> gotta use your brain gotta exercise absolutely right i'm with i'm with your friend <laughs> I was just, I, I, the, she was so matter of fact i was just like okay <laughs> she's like it's something you have to consider when you're my age <laughs> right you've got a little time there josh i think i know i was just like okay all right hobbies can yes, come ma'am. and go many of them before then absolutely but you know what you know as long as you're keeping engaged, your brain moving and, and your body moving, you're doing something right. Yeah. And hopefully uh, FPV and drones will still be around when it's time for us to retire. Yeah, for sure. You know, we got to be as cool as Dave. So <laughs> can't let him outshine us. If he does all the hard work go. and clears things up with the FAA, then we don't have to do any of that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> when Perfect. we retire, it'll be... <laughs> Just chill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good times. So, uh, unfortunately, not a lot of time for DAC updates or ASTM updates this time, but we'll catch you on the next one. Um, and I might let Dave talk a little bit, but uh, uh, for for tonight, we'll all we'll let you go. And uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.